Hello and welcome to this special edition of Talking Terror, brought to you by the Terrorism and Extremism Research Centre at the University of East London. I'm John Morrison. Today's podcast was recorded on October 5th at 11.30am GMT. On Sunday, October 1st at 10.08pm, Stephen Paddock, a 64-year-old retired accountant, opened fire from his 32nd floor window at the Mandalay Bay Resort and Casino in Las Vegas. His shots targeted a crowd of approximately 22,000 people attending the Route 91 Harvest Festival, an outdoor country music concert. The country singer Jason Aldean was playing at the time of the shooting. Police say that Paddock fired for 9 to 11 minutes after the first 911 call came in. When officers eventually identified and breached the hotel room from where Paddock was shooting, authorities found him dead after apparently killing himself. At the time of recording, 58 people had been declared dead as a result of this shooting, and hundreds more are injured. This makes it the most deadly mass shooting in US history. On Monday, ISIS claimed responsibility for the attack through their AMAC propaganda agency, claiming Paddock was a soldier of the Islamic State. However, both the Las Vegas police and the FBI have stated that there is no indication as to what Paddock's motives uh, for this attack are, and they are still looking into them. There is, at this moment, no clear evidence that anyone assisted Paddock in the, in the planning or enactment of this attack. For today's special episode, I'm joined by my colleagues, Professor Andrew Silk and Dr. Anthony Richards, to talk through this attack and to focus on two core aspects, two core questions that have arisen in the aftermath of this attack. Number one, should this be regarded as an act of terrorism? And number two, why would ISIS claim such an attack if the possibility is that they were not uh, responsible for this uh, mass shooting? Andrew, Anthony, welcome and thank you for being here with me. Thank you. Thanks, John. So first of all, Anthony, what is the definition of terrorism? Is, should, and should this be regarded as an act of terrorism? Well, the way I look at terrorism and how you define it is probably the um, act of violence or the threat of violence um, with the intent to generate a psychological impact beyond the immediate victims for a political motive. So when I look at this particular act, I think the jury is still out as to what the motive is. And I think um, unless we determine what that motive is, it's going to be very difficult to determine whether this is an act of terrorism. In other words, if it was a political, some kind of ideological motivate, motivation, then maybe we, we're sort of moving more into that conceptual space of terrorism. And do you feel, and Andrew, feel free to jump in here as well, do you feel that there is this knee-jerk reaction now, both in the UK, in the US and elsewhere in the world, a knee-jerk reaction to call any atrocity where multiple people are killed or injured as an act of terrorism? I think uh, in the immediate aftermath of events like this, there is an inclination to try and conclude too early as to, as to what um, a particular act of violence should be classified as. Um, so um, I think that there is that tendency. I think in terms of interviews and when experts get interviewed on the topic in the immediate aftermath, that they, I guess they tend to go, um, you know, it's too early to conclude. However, if this was carried out in the name of ISIS and, and then draw some conclusions from that, but really it is very much speculation in the early days after attack. What effect does this speculation have? Well, I think the... I think the, the speculation can be unhelpful because um, you start to, to mix up maybe two different types of violence. 
Um, and, I, and I agree completely with Anthony that the key issue in defining uh, terrorism is the motive. It's, mm. it's, it's why did the, the perpetrator do it? What was the motivation for it? And if you have a political or religious cause which is driving the violence, then that is, for me, the distinguishing element of terrorism as opposed to if you're doing it simply because of a personal grievance or a workplace dispute or, 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 or some other issue, but it's not connected to a political or re religious cause. And that, for me, is, is the reason why, for example, Anders Breivik, um, um, his attack in Norway is terrorism for me because it was politically motivated whereas at the moment we, we don't we don't have a political motivation for this attack so um, it's premature to to um, uh, call it terrorism now but I think this is the um, you know uh, when we look at the definition question around terrorism it's not simply the violence that in and, in and of itself isn't enough to class something as, as an act of terrorism um, it, it's more than that um, and it's not simply the number of people who've been hurt or killed as well. That likewise doesn't automatically mean that an act is classified as terrorism. It's about the perpetrator's motive. Why did they do it? And you can never tell in the immediate aftermath of, a, of, a, of a, an attack whether it's terrorism or not. Um, there are various indicators you can look at, but until you, you know about the motive, then there's always going to be a question mark over is this terrorism or is this... Um, some other form of uh, serious violence. Yeah, and th this is this is a conversation that we've all had together uh, on multiple occasions, and all our students have heard it as well. That there is no one act of violence that is a terrorist act of violence. It's the motivation that goes behind it. Anthony, you you would consistently be saying this, and you said it in your in your excellent book, Pub uh, conceptualizing terrorism, where like even an act such as a suicide bombing, without that motive, without that political motive behind it, it is not inherently a terrorist act. There needs to be that motivation here. It doesn't it doesn't lessen the tragedy of. The Las Vegas shooting, or any or any other uh, mass murder, to say that it is not terrorism, it is saying that it is an it is another form of violence. It is another act of of criminal violence. We may potentially in the future, and even as we're recording this podcast, it may have become clear that this was an act of terrorism. But we really can't say that until we know what those motives are behind it, and that's yeah. that's what's. You're absolutely right, John. Uh, it doesn't, you know, some people might say, why Why does it matter? Because actually, um, you know, this is a tragedy, whichever way you look at it, of course it is. And um, But in terms of classifying different uh, types of political violence, you're quite right. I, I have argued that um, uh, there is no such thing as an act of violence that is in and of itself automatically an act of terrorism. If a couple of examples, perhaps, a, a police officer who loses his job and then goes on a gun rampage on a bus in the Philippines... Um, Witnessing that, you might think, oh, well, this is a classic case of terrorism. But actually, the motivation was because he'd lost his job. There wasn't any political motive um, per se. Um, the guy who had uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, when he um, uh, put a car bomb in to try attack his wife, um, and, um, he, you know, again, um, seeing a car bomb, you think, well, that's a typical terrorist tactic. That must be an act of terrorism. Again, the motivation wasn't political, so again, it's not an act of terrorism. So, yes, uh, I have argued that. And, um, and going on the um, speculation and the immediate aftermath of attacks, and although it did turn out to be a terrorist attack, but by a different organisation, we have to look back at the uh, Spanish government's mistake in at first attributing the Madrid train attacks to ETA, yeah. 
when they subsequently realized that it wasn't ETA, it was uh, carried out um, uh, by uh, Islamic extremists or, or, or those who claim to be acting on behalf of Islam. Yeah. We need that calmness. We need to follow what the evidence is. Even when there are these claims of responsibility, we need to be checking this out. For, when we're looking at a comparison between mass murder loan, uh, mass murders and, say, lone actor terrorists, which is what the debate is, was this a lone actor terrorist or was he a mass murderer? There's, I would urge all of our listeners to go and read the report by uh, John Horgan, Paul Gill, Noemi Bahama, Jim Silver, Silver and Emily Corner, where they do that comparison. And they're saying that the behavioural elements actually aren't that different, but they're focusing on this point that we have about um, what the... the the motivational elements are and a lot of these mass murders have that personal grievance versus the political grievance that we that we see um in relation to to uh, terrorists uh, to lone actor terrorists could i I'll add one other sort of dimension to this which is linked to this idea of motive and that is if if it's determined that it's carried out for example in the name of isis then of course we're seeing it as part of a campaign mm -hmm. and that of course then is linked to the psychological dimension of terrorism in terms of spreading fear because once you classify it as an act of terrorism perhaps on behalf of isis then that of course exacerbates that fear because this is then clearly part of a campaign in the name of an ideology as opposed to a one-off perhaps isolated um, mass shooting. Yeah, so it's a broader audience that an act of terrorism is looking for rather than yeah, um, I guess you could argue that, than, yes. than that but it has to have that political motive yeah. there as well um, and it also affects the way that we deal with this the way that we counter this the way that we look to prevent acts like this what what's the difference between trying to prevent a mass murder versus versus trying to prevent an act of terrorism what's the difference between the investigations and so on that go on afterwards well i think at one level the immediate investigation is going to be very similar but it's um in terms of if you're looking at the causes if you've got violence that's driven in part by a political or a religious cause then that's an element that you might not necessarily have in terms of a mass murder so it usually is a more challenging and more complicated problem um, and uh, especially if it's, it, as, as we're talking about, it's, it's connecting into a, camp, a wider campaign of violence. Um, I think one of the, the, the challenges in this, uh, raised by this case as well, um, Orla Lynch, on, on, and we had some tweets mm. come in uh, before, before um, uh, we had this discussion, and Orla Lynch ma makes the important point that if uh, an event is classed as terrorism, then in some countries, the victims are entitled to more government support than if, for example, it's classed simply as criminal violence. So if the American government were to regard this as an act of terrorism, the victims and their families would get more financial support. Mm -hmm. uh, and if, uh, on the other hand, they regard it as a, uh, just simply a, a mass murder, they get less support. So that actually has a very real impact in terms of the in terms of uh, the victims now that people are still hurt and people are still dead and and, and you know the, the the reality of that is the same in both cases but if in uh, one scenario there's more help and assistance and in another scenario there's less um that will play into how, into how um, uh, these events are described and, and also the pressures to for example describe stuff as terrorism which might not for example fit our argument that it's the motivation is the key thing, not necessarily what's um, you know the, the the type of violence which has happened. And one of the things that people have been saying in the immediate aftermath of this attack and in other uh, such attacks as well is, well, if he was a Muslim man, it would automatically 
be classified as terrorism. So therefore, why aren't we classifying this as terrorism? But that's in a way saying, yeah, we're doing something wrong when we're uh, talking about uh, Muslim perpetrators of violence by automatically classifying it as terrorism. But the solution shouldn't be that we do the same wrong when it's other people who are engaged in it. Should it not be that we should be looking at this with the evidence in relation to all acts of violence and questioning whether it's terrorism or not, not just with a blanket poor decision-making process on, on, on them all, no matter what they Well, for myself, I think regardless of whether this individual was Muslim or not, yeah. I think you still have to wait for the evidence, and it has to be politically motivated. If there, you know, if there are mental health issues or other issues that uh, imply that it's not politically motivated, it doesn't matter what belief system you have or what culture uh, you, you come from. Yeah, yeah, and, and kind of on the flip side of that, I do think there's a genuine problem at the moment, certainly in Europe and, and also elsewhere, that violence from the far right gets described repeatedly as hate crime yeah. or as. Uh, you know, um, uh, something else and is not described as terrorism. And the end result of this is that you get, even though it's, it's motivated by political ideology and, 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 and fits the definition of terrorism, you, a lot of European countries are pushing it in the direction of treating it as hate crime or something else. Um, and I think that does create a problem because if it, was, if it had been perpetrated by uh, um, um, you know, Muslim attackers, it would be described as terrorism and you wouldn't have this debate. And I, I do think that if the violence is driven by a political or religious ideology, then that for me is the is the you know the key element in terms of describing it as terrorism or not. Yeah, and this issue with the far right, we can see this in the United States as a, as a case study of its own. When we look specifically at this Trump administration and the way that they've been dealing uh, with terrorism and countering violent extremism, that they say that all their focus is on uh, groups and individuals inspired by ISIS, Al Qaeda, and others. Whereas there isn't the same concentration when you're looking at far-right individuals. And you can even compare the reactions to something like Charlottesville and to, say, the Parsons Green attack in relation to the statements that are being put out. But the other issue that I raised uh, at, the, at the beginning is that ISIS have actually claimed this. But the police are saying there is no evidence here. Why would a group like ISIS or any other group claim an attack that they hadn't committed, and we don't know if they've committed yet, but let's say that they hadn't committed. Why would a group uh, look to claim an attack that wasn't theirs? Well, I, I, it's either desperation, but it, it does. it is interesting that if this hasn't been carried out in the name of ISIS, why would they do it? Um, there are possibilities. One is that it's still possible, of course, that he has carried out in the name of ISIS because we don't know what the motivation is. But there's another possibility, if it hasn't been carried out by ISIS, perhaps in these days of encryption, although there's no evidence to suggest what the motive was, and the police and the FBI can say this, of course, um, there's also a possible that there's no evidence to say that it isn't. In other words, ISIS might be quite aware in these days of encryption that actually, they, just because it, they haven't discovered evidence, it doesn't mean to say the evidence isn't out there somewhere, but, it, but it's been encrypted and hidden. So maybe ISIS might make spurious claims knowing that they cannot be definitively disproved. Okay. And I mean, it, it's kind of, ISIS doesn't really have a whole lot to lose in terms of making the claim, because, you know, it, some people will take it seriously, other, people's will be very, uh, other people will be very sceptical. Um, and of course, as you know, an awful lot of terrorism is never claimed. Yeah. You know, and in fact, most terrorist attacks are never claimed by anybody. Um, 
And you know, there's an equal question, well, why don't the, the, the perpetrators claim it? And largely it's a case of um, you know, the, the perpetrators know who, who, who did it and their key supporters know who did it. Mm. And they kind of get the benefit of it in that shape. Or, um, so I think for me, and, and ISIS isn't exactly this kind of monolithic, highly organized, highly cohesive organization either. It's a fairly you know, um, um, nebulous mix and increasingly becoming nebulous as, as a result of events in the Middle East. So, you know, to a degree, the left hand won't necessarily know what the right hand is doing. Um, and anytime you get an act of violence happening anywhere um, in the West, there, uh, you know, there could be some kudos for for saying, "Oh, yeah, we did it," um, and then moving on fairly quickly as uh, as events um, elsewhere uh, superseded. So it's, um, I think, there's, and as a result, and and you see this from a lot of commentators. Whenever you get a claim of responsibility from ISIS in the aftermath of an attack, uh, commentators have usually add in, "You have to take this with a with a degree of caution because they've lied in the past." Um, they'll probably lie in the future and you can't always just because they say they did it doesn't mean that they actually did yeah and like it's not just ISIS that lie like if you look at research done by Hoffman published in 2010 looking at is, uh, attacks in Israel between 1968 and 2004 there are 8.4% of those attacks in Israel had multiple claims now some of them were by groups operating together about half of them but half of them were rival claims as well so it was groups trying to to say oh we did it and then others saying we did it as well but there's an excellent article that i'm going to tweet out after this podcast goes out by aaron kearns brendan conlon and joseph young published in studies in conflict and terrorism it's simply called lying about terrorism and they put forward some ideas on why this might happen the group might want to convince their enemy of their power they might lack power and it's attempting to display uh, that they do have this power. It could have a capacity but opportunistically, opportunistically claim credit to prevent another group from demonstrating power, to cause doubt in a population. And this one really holds true with me potentially in this case and others if it turns out to be the case that the group needs a catalyst event to provoke disproportionate response or generate public support. To provoke that disproportionate response, we have seen with, say, the travel bans and so on, that this current administration in the US has the ability to have a disproportionate response as well. And if there can be a large attack like this, they can use this as a motivating factor to try and push through uh, some legislation as well. So as we keep on saying the caveat here is we don't know what the motivation is here we know that isis have claimed it but there are huge question marks over this but if it turns out that they weren't responsible these are some of the potential reasons um that that um that they would claim something that they hadn't committed but i think like for these special podcasts we want to keep them short we want to keep them on very specific topics. I'm not going to, we're not going to go on for the hour, hour and a quarter like we do in the main Talking Terror podcast. Um, so before we go, Anthony and Andrew, are there, is there anything else you'd like to add? Well, I think you've raised an interesting point there about uh, this particular administration in the United States and, and the scope there for potentially overreacting. I think um, not long ago, uh, um, I think Donald Trump quite explicitly said that if we're not going to get serious with this problem, we're not going to have a country anymore. So he was looking at this issue in very much existential terms. Now, as severe as the international terrorist threat undoubtedly is, I doubt very much it's anywhere near uh, having that sort of existential impact or threat on the United States. But of course, that kind of rhetoric can lend itself 
do quite draconian responses. I mean, for me, possibly the one thing, it might almost be better if it was, if it did turn out to be an Islamic State attack. Uh, and the reason why I say that is you'd have a, a truly terrible attack which, which killed large numbers of people and, and injured hundreds more. And it was carried out using the um, ridiculously lax American gun, law, gun laws in order to acquire an arsenal. Um, and, and to carry out the attack. And I think, for me, the fundamental issue here isn't necessarily whether this was terrorism or not. It's about gun laws in, in the US and that if you have laws which are relaxed as they, the, uh, those laws are, then these type of events are just going to keep on happening. Um, and at one level, it almost doesn't matter whether it's terrorists or whether it's um, mass murderers or who's carrying out the violence. If you don't make it tougher for people to get hold of such lethal weapons, then we're, we're going to have this conversation again. And this is a conversation that's going to keep on going on. This this uh, discussion about gun laws, gun regulations in the United States is one that's with us to stay. Um, and I think this whole debate around whether this is terrorism or mass murder or not, I think the key message as well that we need to, to repeat here is no matter whether it is terrorism or a mass murder, this is a horrific incident. It doesn't change how horrific it is, whether we classify it as terrorism or not. And we need to we need to be able to focus on the facts and focus on exactly what is going on here. Anthony, Andrew, thank you so much uh, for joining us here today. Um, be sure to tune in for the rest of our podcast, the regular podcast series, and we will have other uh, special podcasts uh, coming up in the future. If there are any that you'd like to suggest, any topics you'd like to suggest for our specials, tweet at us at T-E-R-C-U-E-L, and be sure to check out our website, uel.ac.uk slash T-E-R-C. Talk to you soon. Bye.